The following is a presentation of the Recycling Council of Alberta's 2019 Sea Change Conference held October 2nd to 4th in Jasper, Alberta. The RCA would like to thank our supporters for making this conference possible, including Platinum sponsor GFL Environmental and the sponsor of this session, Strathcona County. This presentation is from Dr. Diane Sachs, one of Canada's most respected environmental lawyers with over 40 years experience. Diane is the former Environmental Commissioner of Ontario and now heads up Sachs Facts, a firm that provides strategic advice and presentations on climate, energy and the environment. Diane provides insight into the circular economy and the Waste-Free Ontario Act. All right. Well, anyway, it's very nice to talk to you all today. I can't see anybody except Dusty, but hopefully there's somebody there. Um, it's, I'm sorry not to be in beautiful Jasper with you. It would have been lovely, but I am trying to reduce my flying, um, even though I'd love to be there. So I was asked to talk about the report I did as Environmental Commissioner of Ontario when Ontario adopted its Waste-Free Ontario Act. And so we looked at Ontario's waste problem, the Waste-Free Ontario Act, which was, uh, I think, the only major new environmental statute uh, brought in by the previous government that we still have in Ontario, and a little bit about the circular economy. Uh, no surprise, Ontario has a very big waste problem. Uh, we, we're, we're world champions of waste and we throw almost all of it out. Um, so here are some stats. Again, these are a couple of years old. Uh, Ontario produces about 12 million tons of waste a year. That's almost a ton per person a year and three quarters of it goes to landfill. Um, whether in Ontario or in the United States, and about 300,000 tons are incinerated. Um, the consequences you all know, so, and groundwater pollution, the methane, which is a significant climate pollutant, um, and one of my hobby horses has been how much we underestimate the climate damage of methane because in the conventional accounting, it's usually reported as being 25 or so times worse than carbon dioxide. Well, actually, while it's in the atmosphere, it's probably more like 100 times worse, as well as uh, contributing to ground level ozone, which is itself a climate pollutant as well as a human health hazard. And it squanders resources. So lots and lots of problems with putting, um, putting so much waste in landfill, especially organics. So we looked at the history of the Blue Box. The Blue Box began as a voluntary program in Ontario, the world, the world birthplace of the Blue Box. And it was mandatory for most larger municipalities uh, from 1994. And yet we always, always struggled. We always struggled with funding. We always struggled with markets. So the Waste Diversion Act was adopted in 2002 to um, provide some financial basis for some financial support for municipalities for the blue box and added household hazardous waste and tires and electronics. And at that time, there was a widespread and completely unjustified belief that the blue box would become financially self-supporting within five years, that once the system was up and running, the costs would come down and the markets would pay so much for the materials that the whole system would pay for itself. And I, I hope it's no surprise to all of you that that is not what happened in any respect whatsoever. Now, there were a lot of problems with the Waste Diversion Act, and so a significant part of our report was looking at what didn't work about that statute. 
Um, the short answer is that it's very expensive for municipal taxpayers and waste diversion really stagnated. Um, that was partly because lots of things weren't covered and even the things that were covered, there were, there were many problems. So we, we looked at, you know, the overall design was deeply flawed. As I say, it began with this theory that if we could make everyone keep recycling, that it was going to become cost-effective and economic, and it was all going to be lovely. Um, and we had this theory about reduce, reuse, and recycle, and according to the theory, we were going to recycle only what we needed to, and first we were going to reduce and reuse. And it's not telling tales out of school to say that basically Ontario did almost nothing effective about reduce and reuse. The, the main reduction thing that was championed was that packages got thinner. Now that actually makes them quite a bit harder to recycle, as you know. One of the stats to illustrate that is that uh, when the Waste Diversion Act was first being developed, the expectation was that you could get a ton of reusable plastic by collecting 35,000 water bottles. But once the water bottles were made thinner, now you have to collect 70,000 water bottles and take off the lids and the labels and so on and so on and so forth to get a ton of plastic. Um, so we've had entirely the wrong emphasis. We have put so much faith in recycling. It's actually amazing how much people in Ontario believe recycling is all they have to do. Many people think it's perfectly okay for them to drive a big SUV, fly all they want, um, eat beef as long as they throw something in the blue box, whether it belongs there or not. So we've had this quasi-religious belief in recycling, which is just not justified by the facts. So we had this new Waste Free Ontario Act um, passed in 2016, and this was an enormous triumph. There had been more than eight years of effort to lead to that point. And so there was a moment of optimism that, okay, here's a new waste law, what is it going to change? Um, there was a lot of optimism for a few minutes. And it actually contained uh, two parts. There was called the Waste Diversion Transition Act, which was to manage the continuing programs like the Blue Box, which were already running to some extent under the Old Waste Diversion Act, and this new statute called the Resource Recovery and Circular Economy Act. So here's some of the things that were new in the act and in the strategy that went in it. And the key thing that got a lot of attention was um, a more direct producer responsibility system for individual producers, as opposed to everything going into the blue box of Stewardship Ontario. So the idea was it's gonna be enhanced transparency and so on, and it was gonna lead us to the circular economy, which uh, you just heard has been talking about, and that's you know, in some ways the holy grail, but didn't take us very far. Anyway, here are three of the key issues that we looked at is can this new statute work? Um, the three key things we focused on were organics and landfill, how weak our recycling standards are, and this huge and ongoing problem of industrial, commercial, and institutional waste. So organic waste, um, about a quarter, a little over a quarter of waste is organics. Uh, meaning basically organics uh, that rot and produce methane in landfill as well as leachate and other things. It has a very poor diversion rate. 
It is a major source of climate damage. It's also the major source of leachate, so damaging groundwater. And it is an enormously wasted resource. We desperately need what is called renewable natural gas, some way of displacing natural gas for heating. And we could theoretically be capturing the methane from all these organics, but mostly we don't. Um, as I mentioned already, uh, methane is about 100 times worse than climate pollution uh, and than CO2 because it doesn't stay in the atmosphere very long and the conventional numbers are based on assuming that it's the average over 100 years. We don't have 100 years. The climate crisis is moving much faster than that. So uh, we, we showed if you valued uh, methane, even at its 20-year average numbers, waste has a much bigger footprint as part of our overall emissions. Um, it's also a health hazard at high concentration. So it's a huge waste. Um, so we shouldn't be putting organics into landfill. But the, the first thing is we can't ban organics from landfill unless you have somewhere to send them. And we have had an enormous problem in Ontario providing approvals for sites that organics can go to, whether anaerobic digestion sites or composting sites. Uh, lots of these sites have been prosecuted. There'd be huge problems with odor and intolerance for odor um, and ministry intolerance for any kind of operational problems as well as the cost of the approval process. So we don't have, uh, I was told we had maybe half of the composting and anaerobic digestion facilities uh, in Ontario approved that we would need if we actually ban organics from landfill. So we need to do both. We have to have a ban on organics, but we also have to have a place for them to go. Uh, and there is, of course, a financial issue. It is still cheaper, it looks cheaper to throw things out, especially when you throw in the US, because if you don't, if you consider the pollution to be free, although it really isn't, then it looks cheaper to throw it out. So that's another problem, another reason we need a carbon price. Uh, and by the way, the federal carbon price, which we now have in Ontario under the Pan-Canadian framework, doesn't put a price on methane emissions from those sites. So it's not solving this problem. So we made some recommendations um, on how to deal with that. And of course, there's lots of places to learn from, including Nova Scotia, which has had a ban on organics and landfill for 20 years, doesn't keep everything out, but, um, but it keeps a lot out and can be improved. Second big issue that we looked at is we claim to recycle lots of things, but actually the standards are often not very good. And if we're going to have a level playing field, we have to have real tight, high enforced recycling standards. Um, and that we've had lots and lots of problems with. So clarity and enforceability are a huge issue. Um, unwillingness of the government to impose expense on business of genuine targets. And we saw this example, particularly with batteries. And as well, if you get too prescriptive about the standards and you don't allow for innovation, and we need innovation to reduce the cost and to create the kind of world that Usman was talking about. So we made some recommendations about recycling standards, and we know there is an enormous need for much better recycling standards so that you don't just burn something in a uh, smelter, spit it out the other end, call it aggregate, and then dump it. Uh, the third big issue that we saw 
is that the ICI sectors absolutely don't hold their weight. Uh, and you can see that they have very low diversion rates, uh, much lower than individual homes where it's much more expensive to collect things. They're big waste generators and generally they've been able to get away with doing the cheapest thing, which has been usually to send it to dumps in the US. So you can see the stats, they've been exempt from the blue box. Um, and an awful lot of that has simply gone into landfill. The idea again was that paper and packaging would be used as a raw material, but we have lost some of our paper recycling facilities, partly because of environmental regulation and um, a will an unwillingness to accept some local impacts for the greater public good. We just haven't seen that. So lots and lots of challenges with how we're going to do that. Um, people are used to the cheap, easy, just throw it away in the U.S. And of course, we've also lost, uh, since we wrote this paper, there is the China sword. So again, a lot of systems customers got used to doing something cheap. And it was, in many cases, very cheap to just ship stuff across the ocean to Asian countries that, as you all know, don't accept it anymore. Um, so we say it's time to stop letting the ICI off the hook. There, we have source separation regulations in Ontario. We've had them since 1994, and I think it's fair to say they have been almost never enforced. So that's almost worse than nothing. Having laws that are on the books but that nobody enforces simply breeds a contempt for the law and did not lead to, as you can see, a reasonable level of diversion, much less any kind of realistic reduce or reuse. Um, there was a bit, a, a bit of a challenge to this some years ago, about 2006, the Minister of Environment said to Stewardship Ontario, uh, well, what are you actually doing to build this system so you get some reduce and reuse, not just recycling? And the answer was basically, I'm being slightly unfair here, but not too far from nothing. So those are big problems we have with the system that we have now. What about this idea in the statute that we're going to have a circular economy? We've already heard from Usman a lot about that. And we know we have to go there. Um, Vaclav Smil puts it uh, fairly clearly, I think, by saying that never in human history have so much money and resources been devoted to producing, rapidly producing junk for a very ephemeral, in many cases, immeasurable amount of human benefit. We extract enormous number of resources that the world cannot afford to continue to spend. We produce and distribute and consume, and very rapidly we've created waste. Um, and we know that in a secular economy, you cannot have that. It has to be more like a natural system where nothing is created that something else doesn't eat and reuse. Uh, and that has to start with just having less stuff. Um, again, you've heard from this one a lot of the reasons why. I, I, I hope I don't need to say why. Definitely from a climate purpose as well, reducing the amount of stuff we create and throw out is part of the story. It's not one of the biggest parts of the story. A very last thing I did before my office was abolished in March was publish a analysis of the carbon footprint of 
individual Ontarians. And in Ontario, the largest direct carbon footprint is from individuals. It's not from heavy industry. And one half of the carbon footprint of individuals comes from four things. Driving, and we Canadians drive the most inefficient, most climate-polluting vehicles in the entire world. We've beaten out the United States. Heating leaky houses. We have very leaky homes, as a rule. Flying and eating beef. Four come from that. And so the CO2 that's embodied in goods and materials, it's important, but it's not, it's not as significant as the big four. Nevertheless, it has a big climate footprint, it has a big environmental footprint, it has a big water footprint, it has a huge waste footprint, and there is huge economic and employment promise to using things over and over again instead of devoting our money and effort and resources to creating junk. But it is an enormous challenge, and passing a law that has the word circular economy in the title is only the first step on a very long road and procurement support is enormous, uh, going to be a massive, a massive challenge. And we've seen almost no steps towards actually implementing it since then, but we shouldn't lose the concept because we, we need it. The bottom line, I think, is to look at, well, focusing on recycling doesn't work. And just telling people to, I don't know, buy solid shampoo that doesn't come in packaging doesn't work either. We shouldn't, as a society, have a system where it is okay to create waste that has no end use. And so that I, that's my final recommendation, is that government and business has to work together to create profitable markets for all end-of-use, end-of-life materials. But if there isn't a profitable market for a material, it is not okay to use them. It is not okay for businesses to put their needs first, to allow waste to be created, and then to say, all right, someone else has to take the responsibility for picking that stuff off the, up off the street, of pulling it out of, of waste bins or recycling bins and finding something to do with it. It is not socially responsible to create especially plastic waste. And that is a completely different mindset, but it's not that new. I mean, 100 years ago, there was very little waste created. There is nothing that tells us that we need to have a society where it is okay to create trash. And we know there's a lot of reasons why we need to stop. We can look from others, um, the Scottish, um, have done a really good job. Now, admittedly, they've been able to draw on some of their own national stereotypes about thrift and about making things last, uh, buying less, using it better, repairing things, and they've been able to develop uh, a whole new set of industries on how do you, for example, remanufacture medical equipment so that it can be reused. And we see that same lesson being pursued in other places. Uh, Scotland has given itself the formal target of a zero waste society. Uh, Vancouver, of course, has, has got some of that direction as well, with some real targets moving quickly, um, still looking a lot at recycling, but finally recognizing landfill is the wrong solution. Landfill is a bad solution. Landfill, landfill is creating pollution that will be with our children and our grandchildren and our great grandchildren for a very long period of time while taking the resources that they are going to need. So we could do that too. Um, 
fundamentally no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And this is part of the answer. Getting rid of waste, not creating materials that we can't productively reuse. That's part of our climate transition and there's nothing more urgent. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Sea Change Conference session. Search for On the Cusp, Alberta's circular podcast on iTunes and Google Play or visit recycle.ab.ca to see the full slides and audio presentation.